This is Bootstrap, a show about real life as a small business in the technology industry. We talk transparently about lifestyle, tools, struggles, and successes in small shops like ours. Today we're going to have an episode for geeks. Uh, I'm going to have Michael Williams, our development lead at Limelight, uh, on the show, and we're going to talk a little bit about how we set up developer workstations in our shop, uh, what our favorite setups are, uh, some of the tools we use, and what our likes and dislikes are about those setups. So uh, I'm pretty excited. I think you'll enjoy it. So a little feedback from um, our last show. We did our first show last week, uh, just kind of an intro and a little bit of information about myself, some history about Limelight and that kind of a thing. Um, this past week on, I think it was, uh, was it Wednesday night, um, we hosted uh, an SYP event in our shop. Uh, SYP here in Spokane is the Society of Young Professionals. It's a group that gets together to kind of do some networking talk about their endeavors, their professional endeavors, uh, what their business interests are, what the things that they are working on are. Um, so that was actually pretty interesting. We had a couple people at the show, or uh, excuse me, at the event that uh, had listened to the podcast, the uh, first episode, and had some feedback for us. So um, got some really good feedback. I took, uh, spoke with a couple of other small business owners that we're probably going to have on the show. Some were technical, some were not technical. Uh, but I think all that have gone down the path of building their own business. Um, and we got, I got some really good feedback. Um, and so I'm really excited to have uh, some of that group on there. So I uh, look forward to having that here shortly. Uh, so we have Michael Williams on the show. Michael's been a developer for Limelight. He's been the lead developer since I think going back to 2011, sometime around uh, maybe fall of 2011. Um, so Michael kind of deals with all the current developers in the shop, make sure we're kind of keep things organized and people are doing what they're supposed to and um, organizes sprints and talks with clients and that kind of stuff. So, Hello. Uh, so yeah, I've been doing development since um, just before I graduated high school. Um, kind of got into it somewhat on accident. Um, was playing a lot of video games and was in what we call a gaming clan. So wanted to build a website to uh, have a place for us to chat and talk about different ideas and games. And so I got into uh, development through that and started with PHP and started hacking on PHP BB, bulletin board software, made some mods for it, won some teddy bear awards and got hooked. What's since. a teddy bear uh, award? It was like the PHP BB, uh, what's it? It's like the PHP BB. Like a developer teddy badge bear. kind of thing? No, it's like this little teddy bear that they shipped out, like their mascot logo kind of thing. Oh, cool. I had no idea. I don't think I've heard this story before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of fun. I did a CAPTCHA plugin for PHP BB3 a long time ago and was involved in Star Trek Guide, which was a big forum website and helped manage that a little bit. And uh, then from there, worked at a company called Sensational. Uh, building printable games for baby showers and bridal showers, really fun, exciting stuff. But uh, it was a foot in the door, and then that company uh, wasn't really the time for the company. So you know, printing stuff isn't where it is or where it was before. So um, they downsized significantly and then found Limelight on Craigslist and my mom was like, what are you doing on Craigslist finding a job? But <laughs> it's worked out since. So, um, yeah, 
Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I think so. That was fall of 2011. So next year be 10 years. That's pretty rad. Uh, that's, yep. that's really, really cool. I'm flying. Yeah, no kidding. That's pretty crazy. Uh, okay. So today uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, just sort of development setups and what preferences are. Uh, obviously, I think Michael and I are the ones that battle back and forth the most in the shop um, over the last eight years or so <laughs> about different setups and stuff that we use and don't use and that kind of a thing. Um, so we have kind of at Limelight. I wouldn't say standardized, but for the most part, um, we kind of stick with the Mac environments. Uh, I think for us, it's uh, the sort of consolidated environment is super useful. Um, I see a lot of advantages that way. Their their hardware is just really, really solid. Um, you know, things work really, really well. Um, it's based on kind of a Unix infrastructure. I'm historically a big fan of FreeBSD, and that's where Darwin came from. So, you know, the underpinnings of, of Unix are there and makes it super easy. And also as a developer that, you know, we're targeting um, a whole bunch of different environments. So web and mobile and windows and iOS and so on and so forth, really just due to licensing constraints, Mac is the only platform we can get to every platform with for the most part. So, um, we've sort of standardized on Macs for the most part in the, in the office. Um, I have a Mac mini that I work off at home, uh, another Mac mini that's at the office as well. Then a MacBook pro that's kind of mobile. Uh, I have been kind of looking at the, um, um, Dell has been working with their kind of their developer edition and they just released at CES this last fall, a pretty cool XPS 13, um, developer edition. So you can actually get a really solid, um, pretty fast laptop, 13 inch laptop that ships ships with Ubuntu. So that's pretty, pretty cool. And most of the tools that I use, I think would cross over for the most part, but, um, anyway, so that's my setup. So I think, um, what's, what's your preference? Yeah, I've, been Mac since I started really developing and haven't looked back since. So I just run on a MacBook Pro. Makes it easier to kind of jump around. I do a lot of work remote just from home or out of the lake or wherever I'm at in a car traveling to wherever. Um, so it makes transportation and just working from different areas a lot easier and um, one, one device to keep up to date and maintain. So I'm on a the 15 inch MacBook pro and it's, it's funny because that. I read a bunch of Reddit stuff and like Reddit and some of the other, um, Linux oriented podcasts and some of those, those different development groups are pretty much turning into anti Mac these days. Um, it used to be anti Microsoft and now it's kind of anti Mac. Um, and I can see kind of perspective with that a little bit, but I do think the environment, um, and how everything works so well together. So I got an iPhone in my pocket. I've got an iPad. Um, I've got, you know, a couple of Mac minis and a MacBook pro and everything just works really, really well all together. So for me, it, there's like still huge advantages to that. Um, but yeah, anyway, oh, everything is just very connected. I mean, it's, I love the Apple watch just because it unlocks my computer when I get to it. So it's like the small things that just work really well. It's, it's really nice, but yeah. Microsoft is doing a good job with, making everything more developer friendly and just really pushing hard on open source and developer tools and kind of excited to see where they go. But I don't know if I can put myself back on a windows machine for development work at least. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, it's funny. So I, on Twitter, I'm on Twitter quite a bit and there's a, 
Um, kind of interesting. Um, you follow the original guys that were in PHP, like Rasmus, uh, I think his name is Rasmus Lerdorf. Lord, Lerdorf, is that is how you pronounce it? The guy that created PHP. And then another one um, that I follow pretty regularly is this um, Commander Taco. He was the slash dot guy. So the guy that super hardcore on the Linux side of things. He's been on a Mac forever. And I just saw a tweet from him. Um, I think it was yesterday or day before that I thought was pretty interesting that he moved to a Windows laptop today, uh, which I thought was super funny. Um, just because for such a long period of time with Slashdot being so far off into the Linux ecosystem and really hardcore against anything Microsoft, I thought it was like, oh, that's kind of funny. But I think the, um, my, the stuff that Microsoft's doing is super cool. GitHub's super cool. Um, Windows subsystem for Linux is actually pretty pretty interesting. I haven't spent any time with it. I'm still, you know, it's not my favorite thing, but but whatever. I guess there's a tool for whatever. So, uh, so I, I want to go into a little bit about sort of the um, development workstation setup. Obviously, it's different for everybody. We have a couple of um, different roles. Um, Michael being lead, he's dealing with uh, lots of different things and working with some of the other developers. Um, the rest of the guys in the shop, you know, maybe lead on a given project or, um, you know, working on with some different technologies in the others. Obviously, everybody in there, we provide a, a MacBook Pro too. So, um, and I'm probably a little bit different because most of the things that I work on um, are just clean up. I don't, I don't get down into the guts of things like these guys do every single day. But um, I figured we'd kind of walk through and just uh, talk about a couple of things on DevTools. <clears throat> on the Mac environment. So for me, just kind of starting off with IDE stuff, um, most that we have licenses for everybody sort of, I think as a group, we're big fans of the, um, IntelliJ stuff. Um, and the JetBrains, actually JetBrains group in general, we use their hosted ticketing system called U-Track. Um, we've bought licenses for everybody for PHP storm. Cause we do a bunch of web stuff. Um, uh, I, th- I use sublime mostly in probably in the last, year and a half to two years I was in PHP Storm, but I've really started to like Sublime Text a ton. And I actually bought a license this last fall for Sublime Merge. So I'm actually using their their Git tool as well. I think it's super solid, super lightweight. It's really fast. It's not an Electron app. It's actually C++. Um, you still get Mac, Linux, Windows. but um, So that's kind of my preference. There's so many cool plugins for it, um, for things like SFTP, um, and language uh, IntelliSense style plugins and those types of things. So for me, that's kind of my preference. But what's what's your setup? Yeah, I like uh, Sublime Text as well, but I use that more just for lightweight editing. Um, IntelliJ, their main editor, is what I do everything in, just because it brings all of the various uh, products together. So you got PyCharm, PHP, Storm, um, Java stuff. C sharp, you have to use Writer, so I use Writer for C sharp and .NET Core stuff. But generally, IntelliJ is where I'm at because it has so many features and makes life easier for debugging. And um, it is heavyweight though, so it does take some time to learn. It's not just something you pick up and you're super efficient in. But um, once you get going in it, I love it. <clears throat> With IntelliJ, I know like so we've used PHP Storm for a long time, and I know you've been IntelliJ. I haven't really spent any time with IntelliJ, but does it, so of all of, they have, they have IDEs like, um, so you mentioned Rider for .NET stuff, and then they have like uh, um, Goland for um, Golang. 
Uh, is that all embedded in IntelliJ or is it? Complete? Yeah, it's all, it's all plugins that you just install. So like you get all the PHP store and functionality through a plugin, you get all the Python functionality through a plugin. Those are the two main ones I work with, just lots of Python stuff and PHP. Um, and then writer, I didn't use, I used writer instead of the plugin for C sharp stuff, just because writer has some better UI management for dealing with C sharp. But, um, I think there is a plugin. I think there's a plugin you can get for IntelliJ for the writer functionality, but, um, I haven't got that configured. So. Huh. I didn't, I didn't, I, I would I mean, I knew that was like their main platform. I didn't, I wasn't super clear on, like, do they release all a hundred percent of the functionality for both paths for both IntelliJ and and Rider if they're doing C sharp as an example, or for GoLand and IntelliJ if they're doing GoLang, or are they a little bit different? It just wasn't. Yeah, I don't notice any difference, at least from PyCharm and PHP Storm running inside of IntelliJ. Um, I did notice the difference though for C sharp stuff. So. Huh, yeah, it's, cool. it's nice to just be in one editor and have it do everything you need so not have to jump around. Yeah, totally. And then with that, you know, IntelliJ has built-in database management, Git tools, and you know, everything is just all in one spot. But for Git, I use Tower. We've been using that for a long time. That uh, Sublime client sounds kind of interesting, though. And then database management I do outside of IntelliJ as well. That's Navicat. So that's been... A lifesaver in multiple ways. Yeah, we talked about that this last week. Um, trying to get moved over. We have a license for Navicat Premium that's like, I don't know, five years old now. And they changed their licensing scheme. And I was trying to buy subscriptions for that and I couldn't get it to buy two. So I'm still waiting on a response back from them to actually get that kind of figured out. But uh, I did use just for a minute um, the Data Grip tool. So IntelliJ's SQL tool. And I know we had a dev in our shop. Uh, for a, a little bit that was a big fan of uh, data grip, but I don't, it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't really feel right to me. I think Navicat, which is kind of unfortunate because there is the cross platform thing, you know, Navicat being sort of a, I think it's a Mac only tool, although maybe they have windows now. I don't think they have Linux. Yeah. They they got windows now for Navicat. Um, but the Navicat premium is like super, super awesome. Some of the conversion tools, um, so where you can actually go from one environment, so we can take a Postgres database and convert out of Postgres and it'll map it into Microsoft SQL or MySQL or whatever. And it does kind of some real-time live streaming conversion. And that's always been a super cool tool to use for um, some of the larger data sets that we have to mess with. But um, I didn't see the same stuff in, in, in um, DataGrip. It, it felt more like a code editor, which is obviously what it is because it's part of IntelliJ, but um, I don't know. Have you spent any time with DataGrip? Yeah, no, same kind of thought process. It's got a lot of functionality for browsing data, updating, running queries, and that kind of stuff, so it's nice to have it integrated to where you're writing the code, but um, it just doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> I guess I've used Navicat since I remember. That was really the first database management tool I used um, even before Limelight, so uh, that's my preference and just, I haven't been able to get used to anything else. Um, so. kind of same on my side. What about, what about CLI tools? I mean, for me, um, I obviously my go-to and I set up a first, uh, the machine is pretty typically the AWS, um, the Amazon web client, the AWS CLI. Um, and then I do kind of the, 
the helper tools for Sublime. So they have the sub L and, and the S merge tool where you can just jump into a specific directory on the command line. Cause I navigate around a lot in the command line and just open it up the current directory and it opens it like a project in sublime. So it does the whole folder structure for you and everything. So I use those quite a bit. And then, uh, more recently, probably in the last, I don't know, six, eight months or so, maybe six months, I guess. Um, we found that tool for, because we do a lot of stuff in AWS um, and started playing with ECS. Um, they have that Fargate CLI tool, which is now under AWS Labs, um, which I think is super handy just for standing up and deploying uh, containers on Fargate. So I, I think those are probably my top three sets of command line tools for the most part. But um, what about you? Yeah, so command line, when I get a new Mac, first thing I do is install Homebrew. That's a lifesaver just True. for managing packages. Yeah, I didn't even think about uh, that package so- management. Yeah, Homebrew is go-to for package management, at least on a Mac. Um, and then from there, I do a lot of command line stuff just using iTerm2, so I don't use a regular terminal application that ships with the Mac. iTerm2 just feels a lot more powerful, has a lot of plugins, and different options you can configure. I haven't tried uh, that actually came with, Yeah, I, I love it. It's got a nice dark mode. You can adjust the colors. I'm sure you can do that in the native Mac one, but... Um, Lander got me set on iTerm2 and I haven't looked back even though I don't know half the features that are there. It just <laughs> feels right. <laughs> nice. So, um, and I found a really nice plugin um, recently for iTerm2 called Pimosil. Uh, I don't think I'm pronouncing that 100% accurate, but it allows you to create files for a project and then you can run the command to bring up your terminal windows in a predefined way. So you might have three or four panes that open up and run different set of commands, which is really helpful. So you get into a project and you can SSH to the dev server automatically, run a git pull automatically, oh, cool. run a git status to see what's changed. And you can just define these different commands that you uh, want to run right when you get into a project. So it makes it really easy, especially if you're dealing with, you know, PHP application with a Laravel or a Angular review front end, you got to run all the commands to compile the JavaScript and bring up different servers. So it makes that really easy. Yeah. Um, and that's just defined in the YAML file. So you can commit it to source control and share with the team. So just start using that. So that's kind of like, day. A, it's like a, almost like an uh, automation or window manager, but just for the terminal. It's just for the terminal. Yeah. I'll send you a link. That is so there's one version that uses Tmux, which is a really awesome yeah. command line tool for managing sessions, um, especially yeah. when you're managing servers. You can just log into the server, run a command, get out of the Tmux session. It's going to continue running. It's not going to terminate the session when you exit SSH. And yeah, I use Screen for that. Screen's been around forever. Same same general idea. I'm sure Tmux Same concept. Is, yeah. yeah. Tmux is just a different version of that. So... Um, Lots of Docker command line stuff. Docker oh, yeah. is Didn't even think about that. Docker, always saver. Docker. Yeah, Docker and Docker yeah. Compose, yeah. And then uh, Terraform is pretty common for managing AWS resources along with the AWS CLI. So those are probably my go-to. Lots of just shell scripting stuff that's common to navigate around and manage stuff. So. Right on. That's pretty cool. Um uh, okay, jumping into like things like communication um, or you know chat tools. Obviously, we have at Limelight we have a huge, pretty large 
uh, Slack installation. So we um, we have a Slack team specific to Limelight. We do for a couple other companies as well that we help manage. But for on the Limelight side, we'll typically spin up. We have obviously a handful of channels that are just for internal team members. Um, you know, some little bullshit channels where we just kind of BS about stuff and then, uh, uh, project management channels, sales channels, that kind of a thing for the different teams. Um, but then we also typically when we bring in a client, um, we like to be able to communicate with them pretty directly regularly. So we'll spin up a, uh, a channel that's specific to the client's project prefix that we will bring the client into. Um, so we'll have, we might have one, two, three, or five different developers, um, and then one or two different contacts at the client side that are in this private channel. And so they can kind of communicate and go back and forth. And then typically we'll also spin up a private one that's kind of team only for that particular project. So usually for most projects, we'll have two, at least two channels for that, that are dedicated to that project. Um, but aside from Slack, I mean, that's open all the time. We're all using Slack all the time. Um, for me, um, recently kind of, you know, trying to get back into Twitter and, and have a presence there again. Um, I use Telegram and follow some groups within Telegram, a little bit of iMessage. I'm not a big fan of Facebook Messenger, although I use that with Mandy quite a bit, but, uh, I think that's the most of it. I used to use IRC just a ton. I spent, you know, two decades really on IRC managing a couple channels there that were development related. And I think it just got super noisy and crappy. And I'm not a huge fan, even of Freenode and some of the open um, open source communities that are there. I don't know. IRC is just kind of a pain in the ass, I think, these days. But um, anyway. IRC is, I think, kind of where Slack got its start. I oh, totally. To yeah. IRC client that looks very similar to Slack. LimeChat, I think. Oh, yeah. It was. No. yeah. LimeChat's still around. LimeChat, MRC, there's command line ones, BitchX, I remember. Um, IRC two, there's still a handful of those that, uh, you can get and use, but they, I don't know, just the, it, I don't know. It's, it's just shitty, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> so we Slack got to start and yeah. even hip chat or whatever they call that now. Oh yeah. That I, last I year, forgot but... about hip chat. Did they, didn't they sell or something? Did they get rid of that? Yeah. Shut last it down? Owns them. Uh, I don't know if they, I don't think, I think they, they shut have. down. I think they shut it down. I don't think they're, they don't have hip chat as a product anymore. I think Slack just yeah, killed I them think, and they got rid of it. I think they just removed it. That yeah. is right. Huh. Yeah, so we did use that well, for that's what we a used. couple years. Yeah. So we used that first, and then we had to battle a little bit on Slack, but we migrated over finally. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm a fan. It's yeah. whatever. It works. Is there, is there any other stuff that you use aside from um, Slack <clears throat> on just personal desktop or other things? Well, Slack is really the go-to. iMessage, you know, yeah. iPhone. Of course. So Slack is, I love it. It's great. Yeah. Search could be improved a little bit, but it works well. So I sent out a tweet to them a couple weeks ago, just they were asking for feedback and, um, you know, and some of the different roles that I've been in, obviously we have a large team for limelight and I, we've got to have a hundred plus channels in there. Um, and then we have you know, the connecting link, um, another, you know, our online education business that's, uh, um, that we're both involved with and then property sync as well. And those, so we're at least managing three teams right now. And one of the frustrations that I have specifically with Slack is that I think the, when you're on multiple teams, I don't think the workflow is very good. So if you're on a single team, it works great. But if, I, so, you know, being, having an admin account on multiple teams, I basically have, 
if I have two people in a shared channel so I can get developers on one side or the other, and then those across those teams, targeting is really kind of messed up. So for other people to try to send me a message and they mention me with at Rob Martinson or whatever. Yeah, you, you like doing that cross-team sharing channel. I just um, add multiple teams to Slack and then jump around the, the so, workspace, I guess they call it. So, so I, I don't do yeah, the, that works the sharing great. of accounts. That, that works great can... for me, but it doesn't. It, so when you, I have to have an account on each one because I'm managing the install. So you, the, the like for uh, you, if I want to pull you, you don't have to have an account in the property sync side as an example. So you can just jump. But if you use channel. the same, if you use the same email address, it knows workspaces, and you can be an admin. So like I'm an admin in the Limelight one, but and I, then I have the same email on all of them. It targets different. So when I'm it sees my so when you do a mention and it brings up all the possible users that you can message and if you're in a shared channel it's going to see my name as my limelight user and my name as my property sync user and so people are like they just message and they you know that user isn't in that channel or whatever it's super weird i don't know yeah but i, I think we can fix that i think that's on us you <laughs> how so? you're using it but I don't. Uh, uh, well, maybe because I've know. been involved with multiple workspaces and admins on them and yeah. created them and have no problems. You just don't want to invite yourself um, from another team to that channel. But I guess you're creating that shared channel, and that's what's right. causing the problem. Maybe I don't know. We should we can look at that. But yeah, it is confusing. Another thing that's confusing is when you go to mention somebody, it it doesn't filter out the people that aren't even in the channel that you're communicating in so yeah. that kind of makes it confusing yeah super weird but um okay so that was communication stuff window manager obviously i think now at this point i think historically we were sort of we had two at least in the dev shop we had two uh 24 inch displays for every developer that was kind of our workflow and then people started getting three and four and i think you had about six of them at one point in time but um yep. <laughs> in, in the last uh Probably in the last year, I, I, uh, Artem was kind of all over. One of our devs was all over. Uh, wanted to get a big display, and he found this forty-three inch LG. That we um, bought one of those, and then I bought one for home. We tested out. Now, kind of everybody's into it, so we've got a whole bunch of users in there that have the big displays, forty-three inch uh, um, LG displays with a whole bunch of HDMI inputs. Um, anyway, so what I was going to talk about is window management. Um, so, you know, on the desktop, because you do have, so I use multi-desktop a lot on Mac where I've got typically usually four to six, but sometimes up to 10 different desktops that I slide through and I'll have one set up for all the communication stuff and one for my note taking and one for, um, you know, I've got Trello boards and one for like as a dev screen that might have Sublime, Sublime Merge, a, com- a terminal, and then one browser window if I'm doing some dev stuff. So um, window management stuff. Uh, I was using this tool called Magnet um, that I, that was in App Store. Um, I kind of started with that about, I don't know, a year ago, I guess. We bought a team license, and then I found this new one maybe in the last six months called Moom, which works really well. Um, and it's kind of like that, what you were talking about with your terminal manager, where I can set up specific windows in a specific layout, and it doesn't matter. It's not only... A, a quadrant of four or only thirds or these fixed environments like magnet does i could have them anywhere i want in any combination and save that as like this is my development workspace and then when i reboot my machine or whatever 
I just hit the dev workspace and it reorganizes all the windows and puts them exactly. So that's um, super handy. I use that quite a bit. Do you use one at all? No, I, I haven't. I've avoided it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't been able to find one that I like. I was looking at Moom before this uh, show and that looks a little more promising, but um, I'm just dragging windows around all the time and it gets super frustrating when I go from home or the office. And I would say I still have six displays there because a 43 inch count, right. counts as four, four windows. Yeah. And then I got another monitor off to the side. So yeah. um, leave, it, leave it gets kind of a pain to manage all those windows and it doesn't remember what screens you had set up and totally. what stuff you had over here yeah. and over there. And um, been using multiple desktop windows a little bit more and that's nice, but yeah, I haven't figured out that window pain. management yet. You sh- so Levi, one of our other guys, one of our other developers, the shop mentioned one the other day. We were because we were talking about it, and I mentioned the Moom one, um, which we have a license for. I think it's on App Store. I'm not sure if it's on App Store, but either way, we have a license, so you should check that out. It's pretty cool. Um, and it's, uh, uh, I mean, any screen, you name it, what you want, it's pretty solid. You can keep them updated. But he mentioned one that he uses, and I think he got uh, Michael. Barclay or another dev on involved with um, that is all sort of command line. So it's a scripted. So I think you save your window positions and then you just reset the script and you run it whenever you want and it rebuilds your deal. So it's all command line, I think. I can't remember what it was called, but we should. Yeah, I, I don't remember the name, but Levi's a hacker, so he doesn't care. He's using something that's like not even maintained anymore, oh, but yeah, it totally. does exactly what he wants. Yeah. So he he's like, I want to work with it. And, I think it's a combination of Apple scripts and yeah, I think you're right. I don't think, yeah, he's got a crazy workflow. <laughs> yeah. Tons. Uh, note stuff. Um, I was going to talk about just for a little bit cause that's obviously I've just continued to battle this for my entire life where I'm putting, putting notes and saving notes and all that kind of stuff and have been like an Evernote user for, um, shit. I don't know, like five, eight years probably. Um, I liked it cause they had multiple locations, but I don't like their format. Um, and I think my current kind of go-to right now is, uh, just putting stuff in Markdown. <laughs> so we've gone back <laughs> and forth and we talk about that. Maybe I, I want to do a different episode that's specific about sort of our system tools and we'll talk about the wiki and documentation and all that stuff. But just for personal notes, I've been using, um, on the Mac is a tool called IA Writer, which is just a markdown, has a tree of folders on the left, and you just write plain markdown. The editor is super clean and easy, that or sublime. And I just have a directory of markdown files. And there's, um, I, the cool part about this particular setup is I can stuff it back into a Git repo and save it, or I can have 20 different Git repos on my left nav in IA Writer. So I can be working on client documentation or our documentation or my own personal note structure, which is kind of how I use write most of my notes. So when I'm doing like show summaries and that kind of stuff, that's where I put it. Um, so that's super handy. Um, I think that's we'll see of, how long that format lasts. Uh, for you. Yeah. Until there's <laughs> another one that comes up. I tried freaking everything. So uh, are you yeah. using anything different these days? I, I stick into Dropbox paper, uh, just cause it's easier to share notes with people and, um, it's really lightweight, but it's got a lot of nice features to do lists and just the live editing is really slick. It's, lighter weight than Google Docs, which is nice. Um, and then you can't export it to README or to Markdown, I guess. Um, yeah. so I, I've been using Typora as well. 
Oh, that's a cool one too. I did buy a license for that. I think. Um, yeah. When I was checking that, I don't. I can't, does that is that one a licensed one or not, or just a free one? I can't remember. I anyway, free. I've used yeah, it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Dropbox Paper is where I've been sticking a lot of stuff. Works well. So we should totally do a big follow up on the documentation thing. I kind of wrote this out as another show episode where we talk about in the, all the internal tools that we use kind of as a group. Um, and obviously the whole path that we go down on that side, but, um, wiki JS that I've been messing around a lot with, um, for some of our client documentation stuff and one of the other projects works really well. And then that Cody MD project, which does shared editing of markdown files. I think if either us or the wiki JS guy would stick that editor in wiki JS, it would just be like, it, it would just, that would be the end. It'd be fine. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be a good contribution. Your little hack solution that you did for that editor putting that into wiki js would be a good uh good addition yeah totally i th- i should talk to the guy and see if i can just add a module for um wiki js because that would just make because you get the whole documentation structure you get the awesome storage that wiki js has all over the place including git repos and then you get the shared editing um that kind of mimics dropbox paper but Anyway, um, so notes, there's a, we'll do that on a different episode or whatever, but, uh, um, rest client is another one that I think is pretty important, especially as a developer when we're messing with APIs and doing all kinds of stuff. Um, I used quite a bit. I used to use Postman. Um, I kind of don't really like it anymore. I've messed with it. And then a couple years ago we bought a license for PAW, P-A-W, um, which is kind of a, it's a Mac tool. Um, bought a license for that. I really liked it for a while. I think that came from Benjamin tracked it down when he was with us. One of the other developers. Yeah. I've been using Paw for a while too. I go back and forth between that and Postman as well. Postman is nice just because it's cross platform and uh, Paw is Mac only. So when you're working with other people, you can kind of share what those requests look like. And both of them have really come a long ways in the last couple of years, especially for testing and, yeah, that's what I was going to say is I kind of dropped PAW for probably two years and I was just using Postman and then I think I totally forgot about it. And then sometime this last fall, I was working on, I don't remember what the project was, um, but I I was super frustrated with Postman. Um, it just wasn't working right. It wasn't what I wanted to start dinking around again. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot, I totally forgot we had this license for PAW. And they, he, they've done a ton of work on that application for the, in the last couple of years. Um, so I think it's like way better now than it was. They do actually, so you can cloud store all of your, um, session stuff like you could in Postman or that, that was one of the things that I liked is I could go in and set up like a project. So like if I'm working on extranet or if I'm working on whatever, a client specific project that has all of my different calls, I'd set it up and then I could open it up on any other device and all my shit's there. Like if I'm at work or at, you know, the home machine or whatever, or laptop and Paw does that now, which I think is pretty handy um, and synchronizes. But anyway, I thought that was you know, another great one. Uh, I'm sure Sublime has some plugin that allows you to do something similar, but uh, IntelliJ or the JetBrains platforms have a built in REST editor. So you can commit this .http file and build your uh, request in there. And then it's contained within the repository and you can just open it. And, really? Um, it's awesome. It's all kind of integrated. So you write your HTTP request just using text. So you specify your headers um, in text format. And oh, crap. They have some no autocomplete idea. stuff that comes with that and works really well as well. So That's crazy. I had no idea. 
Huh. I'll have to go check that out. Um, other kind of quick and dirty. I, I think we're all we all are at use one password. Obviously, at the shop, we I, I guess that would be more of a, like a platform thing. But I use it a ton for personal stuff. Um, I've been in a couple other environments and they like LastPass. Um, for but I don't know. I'm a big fan of one password. I don't know if um, you use anything different, but that's kind of I think our go to as no. far as the shop goes. <clears throat> and then. Uh, transfer stuff i'm still a pretty big fan of panic transmit i don't do a whole lot of in ftp or sftp really anymore just because we run deployment um through git or through some automated tool anymore Um, but i do i did find myself using it quite a bit for getting quick access to s3 buckets um so that works really really well so i'm dropping uh especially with property sync where we're putting a whole bunch of um title images out there or public assets for the website so i use that like a ton. Um, I mean, it pops up weekly anyway. It's kind of the regular, um, the regular thing for transfer. Uh, and then transmits a good application. Yeah. It's pretty rad. I, the panic guys are actually really cool. Um, they dropped panic transmit for iOS. So they stopped developing that this last year. I think I can't remember when they did it. It might've been a year ago. I can't remember, but it's still, like if you bought it before, you can still get it on iOS. Works great on iOS. When you sync, you can get to stuff there. But it, uh, they're just they. I guess they just weren't making any money. It's like a tiny, tiny, tiny little fraction of what they make on the actual Panic Transmit desktop app. So that was kind of unfortunate, but still a pretty cool tool. Um, email for me. This is another one that I think I jump around just a crap load. Especially in the last like two months, I've tried freaking everything. Um, Obviously, we use um, Google Apps for domains, um, so all of our guys are we just use the regular Gmail client, web Gmail client. I hate the Mac Mail app. Um, I really don't like it at all. I don't like Thunderbird at all. Um, I've tried. Yeah, they all just feel clunky and super clunky. It's just a pain to yeah. set up. I, I've defaulted back to just the web browser. Yeah, it's always I mean, up to date. It works. It doesn't take up storage space on your yeah, computer. Yeah, me too. Like a month ago, I was on this kick with um, Spark Mail, which is really cool. And they do have some really cool functionality. And they have iOS, a matching iOS app and Mac desktop. And it was like, oh, this is awesome. And it has these really cool kind of folder style inbox structures that Gmail, you know, supports very similar to Gmail. But then it it screwed up on me where I couldn't see, like I got a client email. This is like two weeks ago. I got a client email and in the history, it showed as the, the message was empty. And so I had no, I couldn't, it wouldn't render this message that I was looking at. And I'm like, what the hell? And so I had to get on the web desktop again and just jump into Gmail. And the message was there just fine. So for whatever reason, it had an issue rendering something. But it's like, once there's a problem, I'm like, ah, screw this. Get That's out the door. I need to forget about that crap. And I was just back on the web interface. So um, that was a super, yeah, super I, pain, I, I guess. I've given up on mail applications. I'd like to have a good, a super nice interface, but I, whatever, just have it. I've tried like a million things and can't find anything. I know Lander was big into, I think Airmail was the one, and I tried that, and I tried yeah. Airplane, and I don't really like any of them. But um, I think that's pretty much the most part of it. I'm, obviously, recently we've been on sort of this WireGuard kick, so um, we've got WireGuard installed on all the different workstations, and that works really, really well for doing VPN stuff. Um, historically, we'd use... Um, LTTP and IPsec. That's uh, kind of a system environment thing. Um, for VMs, I 
used to be a huge fan of Parallels. I've tried VMware Fusion. I just do almost no virtualization of that type, like desktop virtualization anymore. Pretty much everything we do is in Docker. So anymore, I don't even install Parallels, go through the licensing process. I just throw VirtualBox on there, and I'd use it regularly. I mean, I have, like, at home, I've got a VirtualBox machine, and um, at the office, I have VirtualBox for, I've got an Ubuntu install, I think, that I use for miscellaneous crap, so I don't have to fix the different versions of Python on the Mac. I just spin up an Ubuntu server and run my scripts on there. But um, are you still, do you still do any virtualization on your desktop? Not much. We we were using Homestead a lot from Laravel to run PHP applications, oh, but yeah. now it's just easier to run PHP uh, natively on the Mac if it's a lightweight application and using Docker. Um, but if it is something that needs to be virtualized like that, it's generally virtual box and combination of Vagrant with that to make management easier. Vagrant's pretty awesome to easily package something up and share it with somebody. But uh, it's been more in the Docker land recently. So. Yeah, I think we've pretty much totally migrated over there. That works pretty good. Anything else you can think of that's of note specifically as far as your workstation goes? No, I think that covers a lot of it. Yeah, I think that's pretty solid. I do want to, I think it, um, I'm actually really, really thinking about ordering one of those, the little Dell XPS workstations. So it might be kind of interesting to play with that as a workstation. I think most, I mean, obviously I'd get Sublime on there. That would work well. I'd All the command line tools would be fine. I wouldn't get Navicat. That would suck. Slack would still be fine. Window management, I'd have to figure something out, but that's not super important. Um, and I wouldn't get IA Writer. I'd have to find a different note, uh, markdown thing and transfer that kind of thing. But I think for the most part, it would probably translate over pretty well. Um, but I haven't. I think Navicat has, I believe. Do they have a Linux desktop? Yeah, they have a Linux version too now. Oh, they do? Yeah. Oh, frick, that'd be awesome. That then it would be totally portable. It wouldn't be a big deal at all. Linux, Mac, and Windows. I'm pretty sure they started out with just Mac. That's but what I they've thought. They definitely expanded. Yeah, um, it's a great tool. I I just can't find anything else like it. I know. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's very expensive, but it it pays itself off. Yeah. Quickly. Yeah, it is super cool. Uh, okay, so maybe we'll do another um another episode here in the next week or two, and we'll talk about some um. So You're getting this, married next week. I am. <laughs> I, yeah. Getting married next uh, on Leap Day on the 29th, which is pretty awesome. Um, we're going to be in Arizona doing that, so I'll be out next week a little bit. But uh, I do want to do another um, follow-up show that's kind of – probably several that sort of focus on some of the system tools and infrastructure, software as a platform or software as a service tools that we use. Um, in the shop for different things, our ticketing and our time management. We've got a couple of different solutions that we do use for time management and that kind of thing. So we'll kind of circle back with that. But uh, um, where can people get a hold of you if they want to ask questions? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. Um, handle is M to the Eichel. So kind of short for Mike. I've had that forever. But uh, it's M T O T H E I K L E. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter there. I'm not super active, but kind uh, nice. follow. Yeah, and I'm on Twitter as well, um, at Rob Martinson on Twitter. Uh, obviously, Limelight, you can find us at, at limelight.com, spelled out L-I-M-E-L-Y-T-E-D-O-T-C-O-M on Twitter. 
um, or obviously our website at limelight.com, L-A-M-E-L-Y-T-E.com. Um, uh, we do lots of, uh, lots of development work, lots of consulting work on if, you know, if you have, need a hand with any development and, and also if you're, uh, you know, a small business owner in the tech space, um, be super interested in having, uh, having you on to talk about, uh, um, what kind of challenges that you face in, uh, in your environment, the kind of workspace, um, the type of environment that you're building, um, the culture, that kind of thing. So we're going to do some follow-up shows, but, uh, um, super jazz. Thanks for being on Mike. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. If you have any comments about the show, you can also reach us at bootstrap.fm front slash contact. Love to hear what you think and hope you enjoy the next one.